Welcome. Thank you guys so much for being here. I really appreciate it. This is um, making the mix work. So the idea is once you start to have a congregation that looks like heaven, every tribe, tongue, and nation, and they're together in one place, what do you do with these people? And how do you get them to work together to more fully reflect who God is? Uh, my name is Onia Finello Kwabi. I serve as the Director of Cultural Inclusion at People's Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, we have a great story at People's Church. We were, uh, about 15 years ago, a 98% white commuter church in the heart of Cincinnati. So people would come into the city on Sunday to go to church, and they would leave and go back to their communities, making no impact on the city. Um, today, because of the vision of our pastor, Chris Beard, we are 50% white, 25% African-American, and 25% international, um, making a difference. We have over 30 nations worshiping with us, and that uh, goes from the adults to the youth group to the children's ministry. We talk about it at all areas. So we're excited to be in that place. We're excited about everything that has happened and continues to happen at People's Church, and our heart is that we would see that happen in more places. Again, not for any politically correct reasons, but so that the gospel can reach more and more people um, in every place where we come together and worship. I'm also a, a PhD student in the sociology department at Ohio State University. So my full-time thing is learning about race and religion and how people do these uh, churches that look like heaven. So um, I loved it so much, I left my job to make it my full-time calling. So I'm very excited to be with you guys, and um, I hope we learn a lot together. So my first thing before we even get started is I want to know what are some of the things that you would like to get out of the session just to make sure we cover them. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. Amen. Mhm. 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 Okay. Yeah, we'll talk some about that for sure. How do you get there? And if we don't cover enough of that, I'll leave some time at the end to talk about that some more. Go ahead. How we can take the harmony. Yes. Mhm. Yeah. Yes. The racial divides just keep growing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if church can't heal, nothing can. Amen. How do we take that and put it into our everyday lives? Good. Really good. Did you? No. Okay. Go ahead. Um, creating just like a family dynamic within the church. Like yeah. Not, not like dependent on race or color or gender or whatever. Right. Because I, I come from a predominantly white congregation. Okay. Um, Okay. So, like, I came from Missouri, like Southern Missouri. Welcome. So Welcome to Ohio. Uh, really? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, but um, just just one of those where, like, I come from a, a mainly like Caucasian white like congregation. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, the church I'm at is like heavily Puerto Rican. Okay. And so, like, kind of just like kind of developing that dynamic of family, like, within just like my mindset. Yes. Obviously, it's already like a cultural like switch for me. Right. And then just like within the students that I've 
Excellent. You learning Spanish? All right. Keep working on it. All right. Good. Anything else? God, Kristen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. Very good. All right. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, my, my primary role in the church would be uh, probably with, like, organizing or sending for service. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, artistically and, uh, yeah, just the elements that go together. Um, and so I guess one of the things I'd like to see us do more is within the service itself. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So even uh, ways to do that. Good. Really good. Shelby. Um, what are appropriate ways to approach touchy subjects within a different people? Mm-hmm. Good etiquette to use? Yeah. Certain part issues. Great. Great question. All right, guys. So making the mix work. Um, I mentioned I'm in a PhD program right now, but I've always been bivocational in ministry. So before I came to my PhD program, I was a corporate finance manager for Procter & Gamble. And that's a very different world than academia, but that is another story for another day. I've always loved being in a couple of different worlds at once because I can merge and bring together the things I learned from my different worlds and, and bring them into the church. But one thing that I heard in a corporate um, diversity training really hurt my heart and really stuck with me all of this time. Basically, the trainer said that the things that are going on in the corporate world in terms of diversity, which is having a bunch of different people together, and then inclusion, helping all of those people work together to produce better results, the diversity inclusion that was going on in the corporate world was helping the rest of the world and that those learnings were diffusing out into the community and out into our conversations. And I had to admit that she was right. A lot of the standards that are looked at in a lot of organizations come from the corporate world. A lot of the diversity training we have is corporate. But it broke my heart because, as you rightly said, this is not corporate America's job. This is the church's job. And so we need to be better than anybody else at taking different types of people and helping them work together, having cultural competence in our multi-ethnic communities so that every single person who walks in our door feels comfortable. And why? Why is this important? Well, we have the biggest why in the world. These are actual people I know, but these are my friends and my family and people that I worship with. If there were any one of these people who didn't feel comfortable walking in the doors of my church, what would I do without them? There's not one person that I can look at and say, I don't want to listen to that song, so I'm okay if you don't feel comfortable at my church or if you don't feel comfortable at my church anymore. I want every single one of these people included and then some. And so that's our why for doing diversity. If corporations do it to improve the bottom line or so that they're not a news story. We're doing it for the cause of Christ and for people brought to the Lord. And so that gives us all the reason why we want to be excellent at cross-cultural competence. Now to start off here for a second, I want to ask you, what do you see in this picture? And two main questions in this. One, what is over the woman's head um, when you see this? 
And then two, where is this group of people sitting? There's not a right or a wrong answer. Uh, I think when I hit the light, it gets really dark, so don't get scared. Okay. No, that was on. Yes. guys, don't be scared. What do you see over her head and where is this group of people sitting? Looks like a window. Okay, I hear people, a couple of people saying it looks like a window. Okay, you think they're sitting in the basement? Oh, small window, basement, that makes sense. They're sitting in a corner. Could be a basement, could be in a corner. It kind of looks like a plant, okay? I could see that. I could see that. Good. Any more guesses? Okay. All right. What I will tell you is the reason why there's no right or wrong answer is because what you see depends a lot on who you are. So a lot of us said window. Um, my little girl said a, a, a plant, which makes sense. You can see kind of the leaves. A lot of people in East Africa, they think that she's carrying a box on her head because that's what they see in their culture. Um, a lot of us said that they seem to be sitting in a basement or in a corner. In other cultures, a lot of people would say they're sitting outside under a tree. So we look at an ambiguous picture but we take the things that are already in us to decide what it is that we are seeing. And so the first, very first step when we're trying to make the mix work is not dealing with other people. It's dealing with ourselves and, the, and understanding our identity and how that shapes how we see things. So there's a thing called unconscious bias that you may have heard of. And basically the idea is that we have feelings about other cultures, races, genders, in our hearts and in our heads, you know, basically, I, I think as early as six weeks old, I, I've been told. So this is not something that is new. This is something that develops as you are a baby and continues to develop as you get older. So when you see, for example, uh, a woman and you feel that, well, she can't be in charge here. She's a woman. How is she the pastor? When you see that, that is not something that you consciously do. Very few people would admit to consciously doing that. But unconsciously, a lot of our brains are trained to say, when I hear a low register voice and I hear a voice like this, it signals authority to me and that person is the person in charge. And when I hear a voice like this, I think that person is not the char person in charge because that sounds like a woman. That's unconscious bias. Those are things that are already in us. And so when we hear that high register voice, we will discount the idea. Somebody says that same idea in a low register voice. Oh, that sounds really good. Let's do that. It happens. And again, this is not something that we want to feel bad about or sit around and beat ourselves up about. This comes from all of the messages we've been given all of our life. 
But if we don't realize that these things are there and inside of us, then we will continue to act on them and we will continue to perpetuate these messages. So what I encourage you to do in this first step, when we're starting to understand what is in us, to understand how we treat people outside of us, I encourage you to spend some time uh, understanding your implicit biases. Uh, there is a site that we always send people to. Would you mind writing this on the board for me, dear? And it's called harvard.edu slash implicit. No, implicit.harvard.edu. And you can go there, and it will have various tests on implicit bias. You can learn if you have a bias for um, white versus black. You can learn there if you have a bias for male versus female. Um, the tests are, it's tough sometimes to look at the results, um, but it's important. Because once you realize what's going on in your head, you can start to fight against that. So if I tend to think that, it's men who exercise authority and it's not women, and therefore I have a bias against women in leadership, what can I do? I can start surrounding myself with female leaders. I can start listening to teachings, TED Talks even, from female leaders. I can start erasing those biases that are in my head. Um, I've taken several tests on implicit.harvard.edu. Um, it may surprise you to know that I have a slight automatic bias against black people. That is not unusual. Um, because 80% of the public does, and not 80% of the white public, 80% of the public, because the messages that we receive are that black people are criminals, black people are unemployed, black people are shiftless, black people are lazy. And those messages get in our heads, and we don't even realize that they're there, but they impact the way that we act. And so understanding these things are key to beginning to unpack that. So making the mix work starts with understanding who we are and how we're fitting into that mix. It's also important to understand where your church is. Mm, that'd be nice to me. I will turn off the lights again for a quick second on this just because it has a lot of words on it and it's important to me that you're able to see it. So don't move because it'll be dark. <laughs> so the question is, where is your church on the journey? And this is something that we created to kind of understand where your church might be because a lot of times we look at our churches and we're like we're doing okay we've got some people we're moving in the right direction but where are you really in terms of this journey so if you're just exploring that means you're interested in multi-ethnic you're interested in racially reconciling but your population hasn't even hit that um, having more than 80 uh, percent fewer than 80 percent of one ethnic group when you're emerging, you're starting to have the numbers. So you've got at least 20% of your diversity in your church. You've got at least one pastoral staff, or if you're only a pastoral staff of one, you've got other leadership that is not from the majority ethnic group and that you're specifically calling out multi-ethnic. A lot of people would stop there and say, we've done it. We've accomplished our goal. But there's more um, to do once you get there. So once you get to um, become an experienced multi-ethnic church, you want... Not just that one person on your staff or, or leadership team, but you want your staff leadership and congregation to reflect the diversity of your community. And if you're in a very narrow, very homogeneous community, that means your broader community, the people who could reasonably come into your church. Um, I had somebody a couple of weeks back say, well, our community is all white. How can our church be diverse? I'm like, your community is three blocks long. That is not your community. You should expand beyond that. 
your services reflect the diversity visually and in style. So when people get up on a Sunday morning, they're seeing the fact that you have diversity in your church and not just the color of the people who are on the platform, but the way that you do things. That you're starting to speak to other churches or you're in other organizations talking about multi-ethnic and that your own church has programs in place where people are talking about issues of race and coming together. So they're not just all together in one room, but they're having the deep conversations together. Um, there could be more, and I'm certain there is more once you get to that experience block, but the idea is we need to be aware of where our churches are and aware that as we're going on this multi-ethnic journey, there's always more. There's always another point that we want to push for, and so we don't want to become satisfied once we start to get some representation in our churches. So what are some of the things that work in terms of once you understand where you are in terms of moving the needle forward? One of the things I would say is, you know, this says listen, listen, listen. Uh, one of the things that we did at People's Church was an event called the Listening Sessions. And basically, we pulled together sessions of all of our major ethnic groups within the church. So we had uh, a group of our Latinos, a group of Asians, our West Africans, our East Africans, our uh, African Americans, and our Caucasians. And we all had different sessions where a diverse listening team sat and just listened we asked them, what are the things that are important to you at our church? How are you seeing yourself represented at, at our church? How would you like to better see yourself represented? And then we didn't just take the learnings from those sessions and, and put them in a book. We did put them in a book. Um, but then we acted on them. So we implemented things like one of my favorite things that we implemented as a result of the listening sessions is our Christmas Day and our New Year's Eve services. In white culture, it's not typical to have church service on Christmas Day because you're at home opening presents. It's presents to open. Um, so you're not going to drag me to church. But for our Ethiopians and Eritreans, for a lot of our other internationals, where would you be on Jesus' birthday but in the house of God worshiping? And so we said, well, you know what? Even if it's not our tradition... If it's their tradition, we want to make sure that everybody has a place to worship on Christmas morning. So our first time we had a Christmas morning service, we all dressed in our finest and came in and worshiped God together. It was like, it was like seeing family, you know, to be able to walk into church and see these people you love on Christmas morning. And then afterwards for lunch, we had Ethiopian food, which was awesome. And so it created a new tradition in our church about what Christmas morning is and yeah, you can wait till afternoon to open your presents. They're not going anywhere. It's going to be okay. Don't look at me that way, Cadence. <laughs> um, and the same with our New Year's Eve. Again, in most church traditions, um, in African-American traditions and a lot of international traditions, New Year's Eve is a time to pray and a time to thank God for the new year. It wasn't necessarily the same thing for the, the white people in our church. They were not used to going to church on New Year's Eve. They would go out. Uh, not that there's anything unholy about that. It's just different traditions. And so we started having a service on New Year's Eve where we spent time praying. We spent time worshiping in our different languages and our different cultures. It's now one of my favorite services of the year. But again, that all came out of let's sit in a room together and let's actually hear what people have to say in an environment where they can take risks and they don't have to worry about holding their tongue or, or worrying about what other people might think of them. Just tell us what you think. Um, and we won't just listen. We will act on it. 
So that's one of the first ways to start making the mix work. Another thing that you can do is to develop personal experience. So there was a Harvard Business article a, a couple of years ago, and again, going back to the business world, where it talked about CEOs that were particularly effective and had leading diverse organizations. And they found that to a person, those CEOs that were effective in that way had had experience in their childhood or youth where they were the minority be it growing up in a different culture or moving to a neighborhood where they were the only one, they had had that experience themselves before. And so when they led their organization, they led out of that experience and they made sure that the viewpoints of every person in their organization were taken into account. As pastors and leaders, we have to do the same thing. We can't be in a place where we're always comfortable and we're always the one who gets our you know, cultural needs met and then try to lead people who are not necessarily getting as many of their cultural needs met at our church as they could someplace else. We have to put ourselves in places of what's called cultural displacement. Um, and these can be small. You see this, uh, you can kind of see this girl up here who's in the gospel choir. You know, I'm sure maybe it didn't feel comfortable for her at first, but there she is. She's rocking it out with everybody else. So wherever it might be in your community, um, I know people who have gotten so deep into this idea of multi-ethnic, they've even moved their families into majority-minority neighborhoods. Talk about sacrifice. Talk about really believing what you're saying because they're going to have a harder time in school. Their property values are not going to be as high. This is not being racist against minority neighborhoods. This is just what happens in minority neighborhoods. There are financial benefits that they're sacrificing in order to be in those neighborhoods. Not to mention, their friends are probably like, are you crazy? You're going to send your kids to that school? Really? Yeah, I'm going to send my kids to that school. If it's good enough for somebody else's kids, why isn't it good enough for my kids? So the idea is, whether it's big or small, pick some place in your life where you can be in a place of cultural displacement. It will help your leadership, and it will help you to be a person who can lead effectively um, when other groups come into your space and they are the minority. Because you can honestly say, I know what that feels like, and you can lead in such a way that um, makes that happen. I, you know, give you another example of that. Our pastor, um, Pastor Chris Beard, he is um, a member of our Assemblies of God National Black Fellowship. Y'all didn't know you could do that, did you? Yeah, <laughs> you totally can. And he goes there, and he's not trying to lead anything. He goes there, and he's part of it. And he listens to the concerns, and he has developed relationships of trust with the group. And people there now trust him and say, okay, you're not here for your own purposes. You're here for us. And so the idea being that he had to decide, all right, just because it says the National Black Fellowship, does that mean I'm not supposed to be a part of it? Why shouldn't I be? Just go. The next thing to do is to encourage worship in the heart styles of all attenders. So there was a, a, a West African student who came to our church, and he was an exchange student, and he had been uh, in the States for about six months. He'd gone to several churches, but he happened to walk into our church that Sunday morning. We're not too far from the University of Cincinnati. And after service, he came running up to my husband and said, this is the first time since I've been in America that I've really felt at home. 
because we had played a West African song that morning. And he was able to hear a song that he would have heard in worship at home. And as a result of that, he just got a little taste of, of what he was used to by being with us for a morning. And I want that experience for everybody. I want people to be able to worship in their heart languages. Another example, just this past Sunday, um, I did the benediction. And we um, decided to talk, actually talk from the pulpit. And we've done this for many years, so this is not the first time. Um, about the fact that it was Black History Month. And we added, you know, that might sound controversial to you, but here is the reason why we have Black History Month. Because if without it, you could go an entire year and not think once about the contributions of people of color. You can't go a day without thinking about George Washington. He's on your money. (laughs) Um, But you could go an entire year without thinking about that other side of American history. So um, that's why we have it. And then I was able to share with them um, the, the Negro National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing which is a song that meant a lot to me growing up, and a lot of people didn't even know it existed, um, which I don't blame them. You, you wouldn't, but that's why we come together, so we can share um, our different experiences. So as a result of me sharing that, not only did people come up to me and say, wow, I never knew about that song. We should sing it in church sometime. And there are other people who you know, were of my hue and maybe had my cultural background who said, thank you. I'm so glad you talked about that. I didn't think I was going to ever get to hear that, that song or, or about my, you know, my particular background here. Thank you so much. And that way, people know that they're included. When you hear me talking about you from the pulpit, you know that I'm not here by accident. You know I belong here, and I'm just as important here as anybody else. When we do this in, in music and in our worship sets, we just remember that worship is part of who we are and our culture is part of who we are. And so being able to worship in the way that we're used to, yeah, it might not be for every song, but it shouldn't be for none of the songs. So I want you to do a a very quick exercise. Close your eyes for a second and think about your worship set at your church service. And then I want you to imagine the people that it's for And then I want you to imagine the people who are going to feel like it's not for them. Do you feel like that mix is right yet? I'd say I don't. I'm not satisfied with where we're at even now. We've we've still got work to do. I'd say probably most of us do. And if you've got it figured out, please come tell me because I I want to have that too. The next thing we do is empower diverse leadership. Um, when I was at Proctor, we had this thing called the first moment of truth. And basically the first moment of truth was a marketing term. It was when you go into the store and you pick that bottle of Tide off the shelf and you decide to put it in your cart and bring it home. That was the first moment of truth. The second moment of truth is when you take it home and use it. And so for many years, we would work on that first moment of truth, saying we've got to get our price right, we've got to get our display right, we've got to get all these things right, so somebody will choose the tide and put it in their cart and take it home. But what we started to realize in the past few years is that the first moment of truth was beginning to be too late. Why? Because there was a zero moment of truth. Anybody have a guess at what that is? What? That's a 
really good good thought. I like that. But that Oh. Your mom bought Downey. She bought Downey. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a good guess. I like that. Go ahead. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. And I'll just, I'll tell you that leads into exactly what I was going to say. That zero moment of truth um, turned out to be people going on the internet and looking at reviews. So they would look at those two bottles of detergent and they wouldn't pick up the tide necessarily because, well, I read a review that, you know, it doesn't work as well as X brand. So it didn't matter what we put into our promotion or packaging, etc. once they got to the shelf. They had already made up their minds before they got there. So that zero moment of truth, what people were seeing online and in reviews, then became what we needed to work on. Well, I say all that to say that your churches have a zero moment of truth, too. It's your church website. Because before I go to any church in a new city, I'm not just going to show up. I'm going to your website. I want to know what you're about. I want to know what you say you believe. I want to know if I'm going to feel comfortable at your service. And as a minority, one of the first things I do when I look at your website, I look to see, are there any black people in your pictures? Like one in the corner somewhere? <laughs> you have any? And if I'm interested in making this more than a one-time visit, if it's someplace I'm interested in checking out for a long-term home, because I am a minister, I want to see, do you have any people of color, any color, or any women on your leadership team? And if the answer is no on both counts, I'm not showing up on Sunday morning. You could have that service trump tight. You could have the best hospitality team in the world. doesn't matter. I'm not coming. Because I've already seen what you're about. It's on your website. And so if we're not empowering diverse leadership and people look at that staff photo on our website, um, we're not bringing in as many people as we want to. They're being stopped before they even get to the door by you know, what our leadership looks like because it, it says what we value. Anybody who's looking to become more multi-ethnic, I encourage you that you need to start with your leadership because diverse leaders will bring in more diverse people because people will see themselves there. But if that doesn't happen, then you're going to have a hard time even getting them in the door. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and there's no way to get around the fact that you know, in the pictures on the website, you're going to see all white people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just no way to get around this because mm-hmm. you know, there's barely any minorities that that live in the area. Um, you know, so what what do you do then? Where do they worship? There's honestly, there's really. Cleveland, and we're we're uh, we're in the suburbs of Cleveland. Okay. So I mean, it, it's uh, you know 20 minutes away for the most part. Um, I mean, we've had uh, a couple people, a couple people here and there. Um, you know where they went. We you know, you know we don't treat we don't treat we, well, we try not to treat strangers, but um, you know, but it's just one of those things where. You know, or if they're just not coming to church, you know, or to churches in the area. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So for me, you know, it, it's a matter of expanding your net. 
um, and deciding to broaden what you define as your community. Um, and again, People's Church is not the only example, but we draw from 77 different zip codes um, all around the area. So if we, I mean, we're in a very diverse zip code, so even if we narrowly defined and said this is our only community, we would still be relatively diverse. But in places where you're not, um, you have to broaden, widen the net and say I'm going to reach more people than are just in my my surrounding neighborhood. The other thing I would say is, okay, you're more you're more than 80% white in your area. That's fine, but there are some diverse people, um, and building relationships um, with people because if it's very if it's a very white area, um, they honestly might be feeling very alone, and they might be looking for you know a place where they can feel comfortable. Maybe they don't want to drive. 20, 30 minutes to worship, but they feel like they don't have another alternative. You can give them that alternative. Um, and I still say you start with leadership because it will take finding, you know, it doesn't mean you make somebody your, your lead pastor or you even put them on staff, but even, you know, deacon leadership or leading a particular ministry, people who are capable and qualified and who are out there, um, putting them in those positions is important. Okay, you were first, and then we got two more. I have a question about, uh, like, qualification-wise, what if no one of a diverse, mm-hmm. like, of diverse culture is actually meeting the qualifications for leadership? Even though, yeah. like, and, and one question with that is, like, okay, are you seeking that? But if mm-hmm. we are seeking that, yes. no one is just stepping up, yeah. and, and it's, predom- like, leadership's predominantly uh, male, like, white males, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because we just can't, like, no, there's no, women that are stepping up or whatever, mm-hmm. wherever mm-hmm. it is. You know mm-hmm. I mean? So, like, how do we, how do you kind of change the mindset of that? Because mm-hmm. if we're pouring into people for leadership and yes. not stepping up, yes. then it's like, well, we want to be multi-diverse. We want to be yes. multicultural. Right. But we can't because the leadership isn't there. Sure. You know? so. Yeah, that a super good question. And... Um, not to sound harsh, but one of the key things that we always like to say is we can't say that there's nobody ready. We can only say, well, it's our fault that nobody's ready. What did we do to get them ready? And so the idea being that, okay, if you're pouring into people and nobody's stepping up, then there needs to be more one-on-one mentorship to say, hey, I, I believe in you. And I know nobody else on this leadership team looks like you, and it may be awkward. It, it may be as simple as having that conversation. We value what you have to bring, and we really want you to step up to the next level. Um, we found that that was one of the things we actually found out in our listening sessions. We were um, waiting for some of our internationals to step up and do things, and we come to find out they don't respond to open calls the same way Caucasians or even African Americans might. If you want them to step up and do something, you have to come to them personally, individually, over some coffee, and ask them to do it. Not that they don't want to, but they're waiting to be asked. So I would say, you know, take it to the next level of intentionality. Um, Again, we never have to put somebody in leadership who's not ready, but we do have to take intentional steps to get them ready. Really good question. I forget who was first, but... I was just going to make a comment about this question. Okay. So Chris and I often share notes. And cool. Because we're at different stages. He went from an all-white church to a mixed church. I went from an all-black church and was the pastor of it. 
to make multicultural church. And so uh, that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. You're obviously mm-hmm. in this class for a reason. Mm-hmm. I think you desire to have that flavor. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have to prepare your people theologically through yes. God's Word. Yes. They can't argue with God. And when you prepare God's people through God's Word about what it means to have a church that looks like heaven, yes. then they'll start to take a look at their situation. And then the next thing I would recommend, because there are a lot of churches that are predominantly white areas, so I would, I would present pushing the church to engage in relationship with another ethnic church. What our church does is we fellowship with the Spanish church, and we have multicultural church, so we sing in Spanish, we sing in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fellowship with African-American churches on New Year's Eve, and so maybe encouraging your church to start building relationships with ethnic churches. So you prepare them theologically, because they can't argue with God's word, and then you experience them just through friendships and then you may have the third step may be people coming to your church. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, really helpful. And my, my first session um, today was all about the biblical basis for multi-ethnic. Those slides will be up on Sketch. So if you're looking for a quick shorthand way to get the theological basic for multi-ethnic, I, I encourage you to look into those slides and you can use them with your church leadership as well. Go ahead. Listening sessions? Uh huh. Um, will those be available for us? Just uh, maybe as a template for yeah. So, so everything that we learned from the listening sessions is in a uh, ebook on my website, um, Transcend Culture. Uh, actually, it's on the People's Church site, isn't it? It's on the People's Church site, so you can find it there. And then, if you have any other um, questions about how to do it or how we did it, um, just email me, and I'll be happy to help. Amen. Yes. Set the congregation. It might take a couple of years. Yes. But you determine the congregation by what the platform. Yes. That's right. Okay. Absolutely. I just want to make sure I wasn't hearing what I wanted to hear. Nope. You're right on target. (laughs) Perfection. All right. And then finally. Um, you need to include the stories, challenges, and concerns of all congregants. So um, I was having a conversation with these lovely people back here about um, their church in Cleveland and how when uh, Tamir Rice was shot, nobody wanted to talk about it, how it didn't get talked about from the pulpit. And, um, you know, it can be hard. It can feel like, am I being political by bringing these things up? But the Bible says we mourn with those who mourn. And I can tell you that if you have any African-Americans in your congregation, when these things happen, it's in their hearts. It's in their heads. And when they walk into the church and nobody acknowledges what they're feeling, it just makes them feel like they don't belong. Um, We have an an older um, African-American woman in our church, um, and she has been great at telling us, you know, what's going on and what we need to continue to work on. Um, in a loving way, not in one of those other ways. 
but when everything happened with Trayvon Martin, she was kind of like, I'm not sure if I can come back here because I was hurting. I was bleeding and I walked into my church and nobody wanted to say anything to me. Everybody averted their eyes. But we kept pressing and we kept talking about these things from the pulpit. Again, not in a political way, not in a taking sides kind of way, but in a way of saying, this is what injustice looks like and it's not right and we're not going to stand for it. And we had panel discussions from the pulpit on a Sunday morning um, about racial injustice and the things that we were hearing. And we continued to talk about it until we got to, um, I think it was when, there are too many incidents to really count at this point, um, but I think it was when Eric Gardner happened and she walked into church and she said, now people talk to me about this. Now people, even if they're not on the same page with me, they'll at least come up and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're going through this because people understand that there's a hurt and there's a pain there. And so she doesn't have to feel like she's invisible when something happens that impacts her and, and our community. And there's enough people who have, again, learned about the, um, you know, I, there's a stat that I mentioned in the last group that black males are 21 times more likely to be shot by the police than white males. Again, this is not a let's feel guilty about this, let's feel bad about this. That's not ever the intent because that doesn't help. The idea is let's know that that happens. And so instead of trying to parse the details of any particular case, what we're doing is saying, you know what, there's an overall injustice and we want to care about that and we want to speak into that as a church. You know, our church in particular has spoken into um, the, the, the criminal justice system in Hamilton County and the idea of the, the rates that we lock up minority young, young people under the age of 18, kids who could have their whole lives ahead of them. But we're locking up minority young people and we're letting white young people off for the same crimes. If we as a church are not speaking up about that, who's going to speak up about that? That's not a political issue. That's a justice issue. You know, so when we're starting to bring those things to the forefront, and again, not talking to them about, you know, taking sides on one side or the other, but talking to these issues from scripture, um, it begins to include the stories and challenges and concerns of everybody who is in our bodies. Uh, immigration is another thing that we talk about, and we talk about it from the pulpit, um, and we talk about it from scripture, that the Bible says that we welcome in the immigrant that we, we are loving and we show concern for the immigrant. Um, I understand what is said about the laws of the land, but you know, all I can go back to is the word of God and what he says about it, and that's what we want to teach on. And so there's not room, no matter what you believe about the law or what should happen, for us to be ugly towards people who are coming to this country, no matter how they got here. Our mission is to show love, and we want to do that in every way possible. Um, and so we include those stories and challenges and concerns so that people, when they walk in the door, they feel like they're included. I'm not going to have you walk in the doors of my church as an immigrant or as somebody who has immigrants in your family and to hear us, um, you know, support. <laughs> um, I'm trying to tread lightly here. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. 
you're not going to hear that at our church because you're going to walk out and you're going to say, you don't understand my life. You don't understand anything about me. And even if you disagreed with me, I don't need, it's okay to disagree with me without making me feel like you don't care about me or you don't want me here. There's a difference. We can disagree without being disagreeable. So when we're making the mix work, we need to make sure that we know other people's stories and that we are including them. Go ahead. Do it. Go for it. This is a great challenge in our church. And I, I've asked Chris about this, but I want to hear your viewpoint. Yeah. How do you handle politics in your church? Yeah. So we never talk about political candidates. Um, and we have, I would say, a pretty good mix at our church um, on people who are um, dyed-in-the-wool Republicans and people who are Democrats and people who couldn't care less. So we do have all of those people present at our church. We talk about issues. We don't talk about politicians. And we ask people, they don't listen, but we ask people to be especially civil with their Facebook pages around seasons like this where people just, you know, they lose their religion for some reason, um, that Jesus is going to be the center of what we do. So I, I believe that as we're including these stories and as we're talking about these concerns, we can do that in a way that is apolitical. Because, and it's easy to do, honestly, because neither party has it right. Neither party is doing what is in the Bible. So if we just talk about the issues from the Bible, one week we're going to make the Democrats mad, and one week we're going to make the Republicans mad. And hopefully we can meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that we do that's that's very important is that we we have deep conversations. So we're we're in, we intentionally make sure that when we have small groups, our small groups are diverse. We every couple of years have an experience or a group that is specifically to talk about race and cross racial issues. We make sure that we continually have those deep conversations because you know a lot of conservative Christians are taught that if you are vote democratic, then you are somehow ungodly. That it is not a godly point of view. You've turned your back on the Bible. But then they sit in a small group, and they talk to somebody who's been voting democrat all their life, and they're like, wait a minute, this person is filled with the Holy Spirit. This person knows the scripture. This person has a godly lifestyle, but this person has a different political point of view than I do. Maybe what I've been taught about what they believe is wrong, and maybe I need to reexamine it. So that's the other way that we deal with that. We make sure people are getting in close enough proximity that they're having their deeply held views challenged. And I feel like that helps a lot. Go ahead. How do you, and if you're not, um, if you don't feel comfortable discussing this, I, I completely understand. Yeah. Um, this is a bit cost, But how do you deal with those people who might be in a position of leadership mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are very politically active in government or social issues, mm-hmm. and you, you can't—they will cross-pollinate. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Keep the church from because one thing the pastors stand up there and say, we talk about policies, not mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. talk about biblical precedent. Yes. Not yes. But it's a whole other thing. When I, Sunday school teachers mm-hmm. is a very active activist. 
Mm. And without saying anything, mm -hmm. they're saying something to the community and to your church. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I don't mean but we all know one of the difficulties with multi-ethnicity is people draw lines and they take sides. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but they do. And they just drew a line to your church. Mm -hmm. So is this person an activist for things that are not biblical? Okay. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> Sorry, really. <laughs> yeah. 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 But what do we do when those people are like, this is near and dear to my heart? Mm -hmm. But so is Jesus. And you're like, yeah, you represent our church. And yeah. you're taking us somewhere that we're not and I, I feel like, and I can speak a bit more strongly to this because it hasn't happened yet, so we can make a stand. Um, if somebody is advocating an activist for something that is a Jesus issue, is a justice issue, that they should speak out all they want and we should help the people in our church come alongside. And it's like, it may not agree and they may not say it the way you like it, but we need to come alongside. If that person is being an activist for something that is unscriptural, and it's downright unscriptural, and you can show them from the word of God, and they decide to keep doing that, they need to step down from leadership. I mean, to me, that's just, to me, that's the same as if somebody owned a, a, a adult video store, and they were a deacon at your church. It's, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, experience. It's one of those gray areas where you can see... Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we definitely have those people, for sure. But I would not say that they're in leadership. There's not a situation I can think of where they're in leadership or causing division as a result. Um, again, we get on people about what they say on their Facebook and what they. Um, the attitudes that they may take, um, but we haven't had a problem where people are, are actively trying to cause um, division. Some of the people who probably would have haven't stuck around for this far in the journey. That's the other hard thing to admit about this. Okay. Uh, just to say, I think we've already talked about when you at least can understand where a person's coming from, what their story is, what their experience is, what their perspective is. Um, it does soften the blow, mm -hmm. you know, personally, because like if you can like completely disagree with somebody, because you know where they're coming from, their experiences, you know, it, it does it does certainly help. Because then then you're you are providing a space for them. Yes. And then if you're fortunate enough then to actually have, uh, you know, discussion about it and to be upfront, because I mean nobody wants to just be like we all smile at each other and we're going to call yes. it university. Yes. Yes. Um, but like. So that when we can discuss these things, we're, we're discussing it from like, here is my point of view, mm -hmm. what is your point of view, where do we intersect? And I think the problem is like, from, from where I'm coming from, like, what we get modeled, especially in the political season, is, is not a, there's really not a lot of that. Mm -hmm. There's wedge mm -hmm. there's issues, there's you're on this side or that side, mm -hmm. and this is the enemy, we're the good guys. 
And so I think just even even growing a, a culture where conversation, which you talk about, you know, the, the active listening, yes. the space for to listen to each other, like, you know, I think the church has opportunity to, to build that, yes. you know, and model it, which I which does help with a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. It's like I can have discussions with my friends who I totally on a different side politically or a friend who's an atheist or whatever. Yes. Because we're really not talking past each other. Right. Right. I know the reason why my friend has a particular point of view. I know mm-hmm. why one of my black friends who is afraid of the police is because every time he drives in a white neighborhood he gets pulled over. Sure. Because one time when he came to my house in the middle of the day and knocked on the wrong door and I wasn't there yet, I arrived and two cops were putting him in cups simply for knocking on the wrong door. Then you start to understand the person. And so the conversation becomes very different. You know what I mean? And so sure. I, I think that's the kind of openness that we we, we would want that our culture just doesn't provide. Absolutely. Is that interjection in there? Sure. Get that situation? Sure. You don't know what the what the person called and said about him at the, at the door? Sure. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm not saying... Because they, they, be they, they yeah. can be a complete difference in how the police react to the sure. situation. Sure. Com- Sure. Well, some, somebody, so, somebody did that. Right. Well, I'm saying you don't. It depends on what they stated in the police department, which, which can. Right. So as a racist neighbor, I mean, it's huge, like you know, huge different response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because I, I used to work in a place where we would have meter readers come around, and they and people would call and say, "There's a black guy in there." Okay, is he wearing a shirt that says meter reader? You know, we're not like, seriously. Come on. You know, yeah, it, but, well, it, us with this. but it wouldn't you change. It, it, it would, it would still enforce a perception. Whether the perception is true or false is, is, is secondary. Because my friend who routinely gets pulled over, uh, he, one of his uh, daughters who is colicky and wouldn't sleep at night. The only way she'd sleep is by sleeping in the van. So he would uh, late at night drive around with her in his van and get pulled over almost every night with her. And then when they, the cop would see that there was a child in there. You know, then, and we live in the same neighborhood. Um, when, when we see there's a child in there, or at least we did, um, would then be different about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I understand the situation. I would never get pulled over. I would speed past cops, go, oh, I was a cop, and I would just, you know, you know, there's a white kid trying to get home. Like, it's that perception, the reality of it, the, the truth of it, is a secondary thing because it, it's where a person comes from and how they see the world. And, mm-hmm. then, and when you can understand that, then, then the nuance of it becomes possible, at least in my, my feeling. And that's where I feel like the, our cultures have locked out the, the, the opportunity for that sort of interaction. Right, we can't hear each other. We can maybe redeem some of that. Sorry. I'm yeah. Sorry. No, that, that's... Okay. that's you got me fired up, though. This is, this is on you. I'm <laughs> really good classes. Good, but good. A bunch of people would rather be in class about social media, so... Anyway. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Maybe do our church. Okay. I just want to bring something, like, personally. So yes. I'm... My husband, he's from Nicaragua, he's not a citizen, he came here, I mean, he's here legally, and all that, but, <laughs> sorry, I didn't want, you know, because somebody wants to, like, call the cops, but, um. <laughs> but you feel like you have to say that, it's like, he, he's legal, <laughs> it's okay, don't feel bad, don't make me feel bad. Okay, so, <laughs> but we have, yeah, so we have this, this, I mean, we've been married for 10 years, and yeah. we have this conversation all the time about, yeah. I'm very, and just by how I, how I am, I'm very like, by the book, by the rules, this is the rule. Uh-huh. And legal immigration is wrong, it's wrong, it's illegal, yeah. it's wrong, there's a law, you're breaking the law. Like yeah. that's my, and he goes, 
but you've been there. You know what these people are trying to leave. Mm -hmm. You know, you, and he has this other perception mm -hmm. of it, of these mm -hmm. people are leaving abuses, they're leaving poverty. They're, and, mm -hmm. I, and, and so his perception of it is so mm -hmm. different from my, and we, yes. at least once a month, side have this conversation. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I, we know we don't agree on it. Yes. You know, and, and because I just, it's black and white to me, and it's yeah. not. Yeah. And so I'll just say, like, if we can have an marriage, we should probably have it in church. So <laughs> just that conversation. But if I didn't know him and I just walked up to him in the store, and mm -hmm. I'd be like, hey, are you illegal? Let's talk about illegal immigration. Like, you know, or posting all that stuff on Facebook. Like, right. That perception, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. yeah. there has to be some leeway for that. I think there, there has to be some relationships. And if we can learn how to do it in the church, then yeah, we can learn how to do it with other people. Yeah. And there's a difference between being against illegal immigration and being against illegal immigrants. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you're not going around calling ICE on people. I mean, that's, that's my guess. Um, so we're, we're almost out of time. So I want to make sure. So we talked a little bit about the hows. Um, taking it to the community, it's all about having conversations that start in the church, modeling effective cross-racial community, and that's what, you know, when we go to a press conference about Hamilton County justice and um, we're talking about these disparities, it's a group of pastors of all races. We are modeling for the world what we want to see them doing. How to be more like uh, family, and I would say, you know, in very short, um, what often happens is in our American way of doing things, we're very quick. We're very like, oh, hi, how are you? Good to see you. Happy Sunday. And we've just had a conversation with somebody. Um, a lot of our internationals, and not to a person, um, but especially internationals who are um, from areas south of here, for them, family looks like we're going to sit for a while. We're going to talk. You're going to ask me about every member of my family. I'm going to ask you about every member of yours. And next week when I see you, you better remember what I told you and you better ask me again. Um, so a lot of times building that family, especially cross-culturally, especially in the situation it sounds like you're in, is about taking that extra time and going slow and saying, this feels really uncomfortable to my flesh because I have other things that I need to do, but I'm going to be very relational, and I'm going to forget about the other things I need to do. I'm going to forget that I'm late for this meeting, and I'm going to have this conversation because it's important. Um, group culture. I don't remember what that was about. Okay. So if I missed your point and that was your point, then forgive me, and we'll talk about that. Um, cultural inclusion and service, I think we touched on that. Um, and then care fronting, um, that's all, it's, but it sounds nicer than confronting, right? It's all about when somebody is doing something that is hurtful to unity, um, making sure that you do it in love and making sure that you're the right person um, to go up to them. Don't go up to the person that you barely know. Make sure that it's somebody that you care about, you have a relationship with, and you're there with. So as we, I, we have to wrap up because we're out of time and I'm so sorry. I usually leave more questions, more time to talk. If you are, and I will, I'll hang out here so we can talk as long as you want. If you are interested in a, a small group curriculum, a way that you can have these cross-cultural conversations, this is a book I wrote with another um, multi-ethnic church leader, Mark DeMoz. It came out of a lot of the work we did at People's Church. Um, churches all over the country are using this to have conversations about race. They're using it in St. Louis, where Ferguson happened. They're using it in New York. They're using it in a lot of places. And I say that just because there's not a lot of resources out there 
Um, so I offer this one for people who want to have conversations in their congregations but don't know how to do it. I'm also thinking about offering a virtual group. I'm in a virtual group with Kristen um, for Assemblies of God ministers and leaders who want to have it modeled how they would do this. So... I'm thinking about doing a virtual group with some folks to model that. If you're interested in that at all and you want to be in a virtual group with me, um, my email address will be on the board in a second, and you can email me, and we will put that together. Um, so thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks. <laughs>